Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 101 for Tuesday, March 6th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Hello, everybody. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How about you? All right. Not bad. Not bad. I've, uh, I've, I've had a little bit of a chance to get out and see a couple of movies now that I've uh, basically dropped one class and I'm finishing out one the other one, I'm going to finish that one out, and then I'll probably stop uh, the course, as I mentioned before. So it's nice to have a little bit of time on my hands again. And uh, I was happy to get out and see a couple of films in the past week. Uh, one of those was with you. And we'll be talking about those films on this show. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. What are we going to be talking about this week, Mr. Ma? Uh, for East Green, we'll be talking about the Bravo on Tear Jerkers. Uh, the Allure of Tears, and uh, also I will be talking about the Bollywood film, uh, You Don't Get Life a Second Chance, uh, because I had a chance to go out and saw that, and I didn't have a chance to see any of the West Screen stuff that you talked about, uh, which is um, Ghost Rider, was it Spirit of Vengeance? Is that what it's called? Yes. And also uh, Underworld, um, how many of these movies can they make? Yeah, that's, mm. that's the, I think that's the title of it. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yes. It's competing with uh, Resident Evil. I mean, is it even about the werewolf versus vampire thing anymore? It, is, it, it is. It is. Still? Okay. They, yeah. It's, they, it's they, like you, you would think they, they have fixed that, that you resolved that little conflict by now. I mean, for crying out loud, it's like Israel and, and Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> Vampires and werewolves. Yeah. Except it's, uh, it, 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 it's a lot more carnage in uh, slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking about those and a whole lot more after a little bit of news. All right, now we don't have a whole lot of news this week because we've got quite a few movies to cover, but this little bit of news actually dropped across my Twitter feed uh, a little bit earlier today, and I want to be sure I give credit where credit is due. Um, this came from Justine Tai. I guess, who had tweeted it or retweeted it, and I ended up retweeting it. Uh, and this is an article from the LA Times uh, talking about the TV show Gossip Girl. Now, I don't watch Gossip Girl, but uh, my wife's a big fan of it. And apparently China is going to be doing their own version of Gossip Girl. Um, and so the article ta- says um, that uh, tentatively, tentatively called China Girl, the show will be in Mandarin and launch in November on satellite television, um, with Gossip Girl creators Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage Consulting. So you you have a little bit of insight into this, too. There's another famous person who's been attached to it, right, Kevin? Yeah, actually, um, I came across this, new, uh, this news today as well, but uh, on Weibo, because um, Minnie Yang announced that she's actually, um, it is produced under her, her production company. Um, 
I guess, called the Mini Yang Workshop, which is quite a creative name. Um, she didn't say whether she'd be starring in it, but at least she did say that she is, she is going to be uh, a producer. This is her first time as a producer. Uh, so, And also, she did also mention that, um, that Warner Brothers, the original rights holder in, in America, they will actually be involved in it as well under some capacity. Mm. Um, but she hasn't mentioned whether she'll be in it. And actually, officially, now, if anything is wrong, because usually, you know, when you when there's something bad is made, you can blame, you know, it's not the actor's fault. They're just doing their job. But now you can officially blame Minnie Yang if China Girl sucks. <laughs> well, we wouldn't blame her, would we? Well, she's a producer, I mean, technically, so it's, it is her fault. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Has she produced anything else so far? I mean... No, this is actually a first for her. Yeah. Um, and it's quite amazing because she's only been... I mean, she was only... She only really made it big, I think, last year. Uh, I know we, two of us, know her from Mysterious Island. But before that, she was um, uh, quite well-known as a television actress uh, because of a breakout role. Uh, I think that was early in the year. So over the course of about a year and a half or maybe two years at the most, she's become a producer yeah, so um, she was in Mysterious Island, and more recently, she was in one of the Chinese New Year movies, wasn't she? Uh, also at Enswell, and she'll also be uh, Love in, in Love and the Buff mm-hmm. as one of the four main main actors. So she is quite the name right now. She's becoming quite big. She's even a, a joke now in East Meets West, you know, this the idol that the taxi driver is in love with. Yes. So, uh, and, and apparently she is, uh, she, she is very well regarded among people in the industry as a very hard working actress uh, who doesn't really put on the airs um, unlike a couple of you know someone named Jiang or mm. you know one of the Bing Bings she is a very uh, hard working actress so you know if, if that is true her reputation does precede her then um, good for her and hey if Mysterious Island was you know uh, anything to go by she doesn't put on many clothes as well right that I can only hope <laughs> <laughs> well the, the article says that um uh, the scripts for China Girl, the, the, the mainland version of uh, Gossip Girl, had yet to be approved in advance by the State Administration of Radio, Film, and Television before production could start. And it also mentions that according to some of the changes, um, that unlike the American series that originally focused on high school kids, the characters in the Chinese version will, will already be in college. Um, the initial production order is set for 30 episodes. So kind of like... Um, I guess it's kind of like uh, High School Musical. Uh, the the China version of High School Musical wasn't actually secondary school. It was more like college really? uh, that the kids were in. But f- the few glances that I've seen when my wife was watching Gossip Girl, I mean, it's like 20-year-olds playing high school kids. I mean... Well, that's pretty much the norm in yeah. America. But, I mean, are these what are these kids doing in a show? I mean, I do sound like an old geezer, but, you know, are they having... Uh, premarital intercourse yeah. in the show? Are they doing um, narco- narcotics? Uh, are they doing things that adults wouldn't approve of? I don't know. You know. If, the, if that is so, then I can understand why they would um, um, make make these characters in the China version make them adults. Mm. Because uh, of course there's the obvious censorship issue. And um, from what I've heard, if this show, whatever bite this show had in America, I think a lot of it would be lost in the Chinese version. Hmm. Um, but well, you know, it, it it might turn out to be like The Office, right? I mean, The Office was a big hit in Britain, and mm-hmm. they tried to redo it as many American production companies do in the states, and it didn't really take. And then they modified it and changed it around, and it's what is it, like it's eighth year, eighth year now. 
Um, mm. You know, well, maybe how, how so? What do they? What do they do? You know, I'm I couldn't. Not- I couldn't tell you. I've only seen a few episodes of the first um, season of each series, and they didn't really appeal to me. But I know that uh, it's it's common practice for um, for American television to try and copy successful shows. I mean, they did it with one of my favorite shows, Red Dwarf, that bombed. They did it with another one called Coupling, uh, that bombed. Um, mm-hmm. They're doing it now with what's the the werewolf vampire thing, uh, being human, and I've seen the British show. I haven't started to watch the American show yet, um, but so far that seems to be doing okay. Uh, but but you know, typically the track record for doing those kind of conversions from UK to US has not been all that great. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but I think Americans tend to like British humor, um, but for whatever reason, producers can't really put their can't can't really reinvent it somehow what's the other one that i saw um the it crowd which was um a great great british series you know comedy about techs and and, and the, the it department and a company very very funny and they did it they even got one of the same actors to come over for the u.s remake and um they got the guy who's on uh community and uh and the soup um joe Hale. Yeah, uh, um, um, what? Uh, Joe McHale. Yeah. Not Joe. Joel. Joe Joel. McHale. Yeah. Joe. Uh, and he was he he played one of the roles, and and he was just very flat. He didn't match the original actor, who had done yeah. it. The thing um, is about about British shows is that the appeal, of course, is in the British style humor, and that appeals to a certain group of people in, in America. But that humor doesn't translate into a mass. American appeal, which is why there yeah. is a cultural difference. Yeah, that's true. Um, so if you just if you can't capture what is not cultural specific in a show that can also be appealing across the world, then you know because I mean the Office is very dry. I mean I've seen bits of the Office as well, and a lot of the um, the humor in it is really much deadpan humor. Yeah, you know there's no laugh track, blah blah. But the thing is, will that work in America? I think we've seen that single camera shows with no laugh tracks, with dry humor. Uh, humor that you pay attention to don't really work as well um, in the ratings. I mean, at least. Yeah. So it's it's very hard to. I mean, and 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 putting bringing it back to the story. How is something that is Gossip Girl, which is kind of an American um, pop culture thing, how is it going to translate into Chinese culture? Will Chinese people accept this kind of story being told? I mean, because there is a certain exoticness to it. You know what well, I mean? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, it, yeah. it is one of the. One of the things I understand about Gossip Girl is it's about, it's apparently about uh, some of the more elite, um, you know, uh, upper class social, you know, rich kids, basically. Right. Um, And that kind of portrayal might be problematic. But then again, if you look at China High School Musical, those were all rich kids, too. So, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But if Minnie Yang's in it, I'll definitely give it a shot. Minnie? Yeah. Uh, oh, and, yeah, I just got to say, you know, when it comes to British TV, British shows, Monty Python's Flying Circus still rocks my world. Yeah. Uh, I like Saturday Night Live and, and all, uh, but nothing comes close to Monty Python for me. So we're still in news. Second part of news, Golden Broom Awards. Was that it? Yes, yes, the uh, Golden Broom Awards. Uh, what is the Golden Broom Awards? It's essentially the Razzies. I mean, Paul, you're familiar with the Razzies, oh, yes. right? Yes, so the Golden Raspberry is what it is. It's, a, it's an award that honors, well, dishonors uh, bad films. And um, 
and uh, a certain film scholar in China um, who also uh, actually edits is the editor for uh, a book, a MOOC, what we call MOOC called um, Yun Movie Handbook, has decided to hold essentially a Chinese version of the Razzies called the Golden Broom. Uh, this year is in its third year, and actually, unlike the Razzies, which is just which just have these people joking around on stage. Um, this award actually invited real people, you know, like directors, like um, fifth generation or sixth generation director Wang Shaoshui. You got director Buddha Mountain, uh, Manfred Wong, uh, director Lu Ye, uh, Gu Changwei. They all showed up, and uh, the jury is actually made of you know real film critics and scholars and you know reporters and people who work in the industry to decide essentially the worst movies of the year. Now uh, the nominees were were. were uh, actually given by the public on the internet. Uh, it was very heavily promoted on Weibo and and everywhere else, that, you know, with social media. And from the from the nominees, the jury of 27 members uh, decided on categories such as most disappointing films, most, dis- most disappointing mid, mid-low budget films, and so on. Uh, so I'm just going to read out the, the, the losers uh, real quick. Um, most disappointing films uh, goes to um, Warring States, Legendary Amazons and The Lost Bladesman. Uh, notice that they didn't use worst film. Instead, they just used most disappointing films. Uh, I'm not sure why they used that term. Uh, could be one of those things where they don't want to um, offend people. But anyway, uh, then they also set, uh, separated a separate category uh, for mid to low budget films so that um, so that every film gets their share. Uh, so this year, the n- number 32B district, which is the mockumentary wannabe Blair, Blair Wish Project wannabe movie, and also Love Never Dies, which is uh, I think a film that stars uh, Francis Ng. It's another mm-hmm. little small little film. Those won uh, most disappointing mid to low budget films. Um, but the jury also set aside a special prize for most disappointing film because it was not nominated, and that's mm-hmm. Flowers of War, the Zhang Yimou film. They accused it for using the Nanjing Massacre or essentially the shame of the country to sell sex um, and eroticize it. So they thought it was especially shameful, and um, I think 21 of the 27 members voted to get give this movie a special jury prize for most hmm. disappointing film. Um, most disappointing directors goes to Frankie Chan of Legendary Amazons and Gao Xiao Song for uh, My Kingdom, which is interesting because it didn't win or lose <laughs> uh, most disappointing film. <laughs> um, most disappointing actor, Soon Hong Lei for Warring States. If you remember, we saw the film. He is the creepy, freaky little long hair uh, guy, uh, yeah. Soon Bin. Um, and most disappointing actress, no surprise there, Cecilia Chung, a double winner for Legendary Amazons and Treasure Hunt. They well, I have a question now. Yes. Because we've we've participated in it in in an awards polling as well. Yes. And in in part of that polling we were asked to come up with the ten worst films. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I haven't had a chance to see this film yet, but I've been guaranteed by several members of that committee that it is the worst film of 2011. Legendary Amazons or no. Chase Our Love? Yes. So where where yes. is that in the framework of all of this? The thing is, I think not enough people saw Chase Our Love. I, th- I think it was nominated. It was definitely nominated, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Um, because that kind of film, you just can't not... <laughs> nominate <laughs> but you know there's also a chance that not enough people saw the movie actually among the three disappointing films I did give Lost Placement the most disappointing film of the year but I didn't put it on my 10 worst instead I, I put Legendary Amazons 
uh, one of my 10 worst. And it was like a number 10. So I wonder where were they when they had to watch, you know, I love Wing Chun or um, um, what else? Um, hell, uh, Chase Out Love or uh, Sleepwalker. You know, I wonder how many people actually saw Sleepwalker. If they saw it, I think this, this it, would, it would end up on the list. Yeah. Um, but uh, most disappointing, and actually there are three more awards, uh, most disappointing ensemble cast, East Meets West, which really? kind of shows you, yes, they really did not like this movie in China. Um, I was I was surprised that it didn't become most disappointing film because it was so badly received in China. Um, and it's interesting because um, last week when I went to watch uh, 90, 92 Legendary Rose Noir, uh, Jeff Lau showed up uh, for the Q&A and he said that he admitted straight up that Yes, he has become essentially many Hong Kong directors has become mainland Chinese directors, and they're still trying to find a balance because he knows that Hong Kong mole tao nonsense comedy doesn't fly in China, and I think this is how he learned his lesson. Hmm. East meets West, um, but yeah, well, hopefully has- it won't follow in Stephen Chow's footsteps with you know CJ Seven. I think it's, uh, Stephen Chow's had like ten years to work out because I mean he's done two movies in China I mean Shaolin Soccer and, and Kung Fu Hustle and CJ7 you can say that they're Hong Kong movies but they were all produced in China which means he was clearly you know attempting to to capture their taste um, so 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 yeah I mean I hope that you know Stephen Chow's uh, East Mies, uh, what is it Chinese Aussie movie um, works out but yeah it, it is a very big big challenge for Hong Kong directors to to know to learn how to cater to mainland taste without losing their home audience. I mean, Andrew Lau also failed at this with a beautiful life. Um, right, moving on. Uh, most disappointing animated film is a uh, is called She Bai Pole, something that we've never heard of. I've never heard of it. This is it is so unheard of that there's no English title for it. And most disappointing import film is The Green Hornet. Hmm. Um, I have no idea why. Honestly, I didn't think the movie was that bad. But um, if you look at my blog, uh, obviously the none of the, the 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 losers or winners uh, showed up to get their awards. Unlike you know the Razzies, where you sometimes have actually people to get to go up there and pick up their award. So you had, for, so you had two people. Well, this is a fairly new award, right? I mean, maybe they don't really realize they're being punked. Um, no, I think it's just a matter of, you know, not having a sense of humor. I mean, seriously, if you were worked really hard on a film and then you get dishonored by being, you know, getting a golden broom, I, I, you know, you wouldn't have face well, who to got show the, up. Was it, um, I was reading somewhere, I think, um, Adam Sandler, uh, got a golden raspberry this year because for... Oh, for, the awards hasn't been held yet. Um, for, actually, he's, been, he's broken a record. Yeah, he broke a record. He, he was something because he had like two or three films that got nominated. Yeah, yeah. So we're, everyone's looking forward to whether he'll pick up the award because I think the award will be held on uh, April 1st. Usually it's held on the day before the Oscars, but somehow this year it got pushed back. Uh, so yeah, they're saying that he might be the third consecutive year where actually a loser or a winner of the award would go and pick up the award. But yeah, here at the Golden Broom, instead of actually having the people there, they have people uh, holding the face of the actor in front of their face <laughs> and receive the award. Uh, you look at my, my blog... Um, on loveishtfilm.com uh, slash blog slash the golden rock, you will actually see um, yeah pictures of those people picking up the award. Mm. So that is the golden broom. Interesting. Uh, hi, guys, in the chat room. Kenneth said he covered uh, 92 Legendary La Rose Noir last week on yes, yes, I know Podcast that. on Fire. Fun, yeah. but uh, probably got about 10% of it, but still fun. Um I'm curious, what did you watch it on? Did you watch the VCD or the DVD? Because that's no. like long out of print. 
It was uh, it was part of the um, hundred must. No, no, I know that they you went to the screening, but I mean for oh, Ken, yeah. I'm wondering oh, how I'm how he got how he got it and uh, what format got a DVD. Not the I've got it on DVD back in the states because I've seen it. I just gotta dig it out, but you can't find it in shops anymore. It's um, we it is talk- totally out of We were talking about this last week. It's like you know, all these films on that list. Good luck watching them because um, they're just not available. Yeah, the thing is, the print I saw was, I mean, it wasn't the most pristine print, but it was a nice little film print. But I think the matter is that because it was produced under a small, very small company that has gone out of business, no one knows who holds the rights to it. Yeah. Of course, you can still find the one with, um, was it? Uh, Donnie. Char- Charlene and... Uh... Donnie, directed by Donnie and... Uh, what was uh, that and called? the dishonorable Barbara Wong, uh, Protégé. Protégé La, La Rose Noir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one's still around. Not that you'd necessarily want to watch it. Not that we want it to be around. <laughs> this week we have two East Screen films to talk about. First up, Barbara Wong's The Allure of Tears. Um, so, Kevin, take us through The Allure of Tears and try not to be too sad while you're doing it i I, i'm crying already paul what do you do um okay uh yeah the allure of tears is the latest film by barbara wan and um her co-writer lawrence chang um this time uh she is presenting essentially omnibus uh three stories um about three different tragedy uh stories um and they're separated by they're what they call tiers instead of part one you get first tier and second tier and third tier uh first tier starts Arif Lee as a um, uh we call it a fur die in china which is essentially the the second generation of a rich rich man a rich man's son who is also an aspiring director um one day he discovers that he has cancer i think in the head or in the brain he has a tumor and he gets admitted to a hospital i guess filled with um uh, children with cancer and there he meets a power girl played by Zhou Dong Yu um, from under the Hawthorne tree uh, she is also um, uh, suffering from cancer I forgot a cancer of the blood I think um, so they they for initially they find kind of comfort in each other and eventually they fall in love but, uh, and because of Zhou Dong, uh, power girl's uh, uh, tragic past um, they kind of made this pact that die together, but of course, eventually they discovered the the value of life, um, and then tragedy strikes. Um, then the second tier um, stars Richie Ren as um, as uh, I forgot what he does, but he is a uh, graduate from a very uh, a big music school, but the music school is um, actually threatened uh, facing bankruptcy. So the head of the music school is asking his former students to bring to hold a, a charity concert to help save the school. And to do that <clears throat> means that Richie's character has to find um, Yang Lin, uh, a very famous violinist uh, that, that graduated from the school, played by Gigi Lun. But of course, when he finds her, um, he finds he realize, he discovers that actually she, she retired because she went deaf. Um, so now she, he has to then convince her to get over her, her, her handicap and help save the school. Uh, third tier stars um, Sean Doe and I forgot the girl's name, but as longtime lovers, uh, the, the film flashback to their, their story um, as a very poor couple. Um, and 
trying to trying to struggle, trying to make money to to live a comfort comfortable day to day life, and of course when um when they lose their money, then then the girl forces the guy to go away and and to make a living for himself. So the whole story is about him trying to get her back, and then of course tragedy strikes. Uh, so essentially, um, each of these stories really aim to make you cry. Um, it is Borrow Wash when they when the movie went to production. It is you know the whole name of the movie is called Lure of Tears. So obviously it is meant to make you cry. But um, the problem is that the attempts to make you cry they're so forced that the whole thing feels you know manipulative. The whole thing is is trying to squeeze tears out of you instead of trying to tell real stories and this the you know the result is not you can't have genuinely touching moments when you know they say that it's hard to make people laugh um and i would say it's equally hard to make people cry when you're a filmmaker and and the thing is they try to make it seem like such an easy thing to do by piling on tragedy after tragedy after tragedy um the whole thing just feels forced and manipulative and actually i think quite um quite cheap um Honestly, the actors are fine. You know, I, I've liked, I like Joe Dong-Yu a lot, so I have no problem. Arif is okay, even though he veers in overacting. Um, someone asked me how rich he is, and, you know, the performances, actually, they're all okay. They're not, they're not the worst part of the film. The, the problem with the thing is direction really sinks the whole thing because everyone goes into, you know, tragedy mode, and everyone is crying and, and hamming it up. So as good actors as some of these people are, they're, they're working with these, this material that that is terrible terrible material um and i think i tweeted last week that you know cancer it's not a disease to be mocked at you know it's a serious disease but you know the thing is it has become such a cliche in cinema in melodramas that it's become kind of sadly has become something to mock at you know when someone you know when we watch like a tragedy then you know we joke that someone has cancer and here it, it is so is piled on so heavily that it becomes a parody of itself and unfortunately you know real handicaps real diseases become parodies you know because something to 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 laugh at um and and the worst thing is there's not even a noble intention you know the film is about making people cry the film is about you know uh, 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 evoking a reaction of the audience it's not trying to tell real stories there's no heart to it um in fact it is so into it's attempt to make people cry that it seems to enjoy putting his characters through tragedy after tragedy. And I think that is really cheap and manipulative. And it's just really the worst, one of the worst movies of the year already. And I think this will be end up on my worst list of the year because, because of the, both the intention and the execution is so terrible. Um, so I have no hesitation in saying you should skip this melodramatic piece of trash. And I'm being kind already. So, Paul, would you would you mind? What uh, do you really think about Lear of Tears? Well, yeah, I mean, it's all right. I <sighs> you know, I I hate to. Somebody was saying this in the movie. I don't remember if it's you or, or one of our other, you know, uh, film film goer mates, as we might call them, our comrades in cinema. Um, Somebody was saying, "Oh, Barbara Wong, you're ruining the careers of the, the these young people," um, and that's kind of how I felt. I really like Zhou Dong Yu. Um, I, I'd love to see her in more stuff, and it's just even her, she doesn't isn't in this movie enough to save it. Really, I mean, she's she's got cute factor one thousand, 
And if anybody could, you know, move me to tears uh, that's working in Chinese cinema right now, it could probably be her. But unfortunately, Barbara Wong is just too heavy-handed. She's just, you know, you were talking about this movie is, the title alone is signifying that it's going to make you cry. It's more like um, film school attempts using regular plot hooks and cliches to try and, you know, it's like, Going through a color-by-numbers or a step-by-step procedure. First you do this kind of story hook, then you do this kind of story hook, and then you do this kind of story hook, and A plus B plus C equals tears. And it's just too much. It's over the top. It's stuff we've seen done before and done better in other places. Um, so the first segment, you know, between between you know her character, Power Girl, and Aerith Lee, it started off okay, you, but you kind of knew where it was going the whole time. Um, and you know, they throw kids in there. So you've got kids with cancer and you know, the kids are all voiced by McDull characters, you know? (laughs) And so I'm just thinking, they're killing McDull. What the heck? You know, um, it's just really weird the way that that segment plays out. And then there's this relationship with her mother, but her mother doesn't seem to recognize her, but then her mother becomes a very important figure later on. And ultimately what ends up happening, that she, she does try and throw a twist in there. I, I won't reveal the twist for anybody who plans on watching, watching this, but ultimately what she ends up trying to do is create a similar thing that she created in Happy Funeral. And, you know, so we've seen this before. This isn't really new material that, that she's trying to do. It's just she's using di- different actors uh, in a certain way. Uh, the second one, I think, which was probably for me the most dull of the three. Um, I don't know. The third one, I kind of couldn't see what was going on, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, but this one with Richie Wren and, and Gigi, um, you know, the, the, the three stories are connected in certain ways. And so here, the, the music instructor, Dennis Chan, he was like the music teacher of Zodong Yu's character. So that connects them. And then they have this big concert and that connects the characters of the third story. Um, but I just, it, this one didn't feel like, where was I supposed to cry? Um, it's supposed to be touched. It's supposed to be tears of joy, I think. I mean, I, but yeah, you know, it, it wasn't touching, you yeah. know, the, 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 it was just, it was like the ultimate irony, you know, oh, we've got this famous musician, but she's gone deaf. Or it's like saying, oh, we need you to run a marathon. What? You're an amputee. You've lost your legs. Oh my gosh! You know, it's like it's just it's just going for the ultimate irony, and it doesn't really work. Um, I didn't buy, didn't really feel moved by, you know, their sort of gung ho attitude to get things done. And then it just totally goes against its own logic. The logic for the concert is that they need to raise money to save the school, right? And so there's, they're going to raise all this money through this music concert and bringing Gigi Lung's character Yang Li because she's famous will bring people in to buy the tickets. And when things aren't working at the last minute, what do they do? Well, they put her on TV on a huge, you know, sort of like central style, big Times Square television with with like like a one minute television commercial. I'm thinking they don't have money to save the school, but they've got money to put on a TV commercial, which would cost you know, probably a hundred times more than whatever the school rent or, or the mortgages that's due. I mean, come on, seriously. Um, so the logic there defeats itself. The third story, I think you were saying, you know, it's really just copying, you know, uh, auteurism. 
if you know if we yes, could call the, it that the the entire yeah let me explain a little bit the the visual style of the third film it suddenly goes it suddenly turns into a saturated picture with handheld camera and at one point they the, the two characters go to a movie um called love letter by shunji Wan and it suddenly clicked suddenly i realized bravo Wan is trying to do shunji Iwai. And it made absolutely no sense. The picture is degraded. I think uh, it was actually digitally saturated and digitally degraded. So the whole thing looks like, you know, it's like it just came out of Final Cut Pro. It's like the whole movie is playing off Final Cut Pro. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it had a really odd look to it. I mean, I, I think of I could have gotten behind the first story a little bit more if it was just that story. And if it wasn't so in your face. If they would have taken, if she would have taken more of sort of like a, what was the movie with Eason and Charlene? Funeral March. Funeral March, yeah. You know, a more subtle approach to the building relationship of the two characters. I would have liked it a lot better. That's the other problem. She's doing this anthology. So you don't have enough time to build anything with right. these characters. Because every story is like 20 to 30 minutes. And then the the other problem too is that the characters just change on a dime. Right. Um, it, they freak out for no it's reason. It's like yeah. one moment they're all lovey-dovey, and then the next moment one character saying, get out, I never want to see you again. You know, go away. And it just seems to it seems to not really make sense. Um, well, it just seems to go, go I guess, at least two characters in two different stories does that. You know, it does the, it's for your own good. I'm being me for your own good yeah. moments. Yeah, it's at least um, two of them. It's recycled within the film. <laughs> you know, it, it's just... It, it's just too over the top in trying to really pull out the emotions. And I don't like when a director really comes in that forcefully and in your face. I mean, it's it's like when it's like being Michael Bay, but in an emotional drama. To an, it, to an I extent. would say it is more didactic than beginning of the Great Revival. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I was really I really didn't like Breakup Club from last year. Um, and we talked about that, and, and, and in part because of the end. This I like even less. It's like she's continuously going downhill, and I'm not against her. I mean, she's done stuff that I've enjoyed. I mean, what was the one? Sixth Floor Rear Flat mm-hmm. really liked. Uh, her documentary on uh, women was really good. The men the, the men documentary wasn't wasn't so much. Um, I was real okay with Six Strong Guys. Yeah, Six Strong Guys. I mean, that wasn't great, but it wasn't... You know, it wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. terrible, but these are, it's just like she keeps going downhill um, with, the, with the stuff she's trying to do. The things you were saying about how this is a, uh, she's trying to kill the career of these people, but it's, it's actually not true because everyone is in it for the money. Even, you know, everyone's in this for the, for the cash grab, including Barbara Wan, Lawrence Chan, and the cast. And it is such a way that is such a, yeah. you know, it's such a minor cash grab that I don't think you would affect the guy. The, the guys in the chat remember are, are ribbing me. They're saying, I've never seen Paul so. Uh, pissed off before. Um, <laughs> I, I guess if I'm pissed off at this movie, it's because I really like Zodong Yu, and I don't want her career to go in the toilet because of Barbara Wong. <laughs> like I, you don't have to worry about that because Zodong Yu's even done like a like a Mao Yun movie. So yeah. you know, it's she, she's if she if, if anyone's doing you know if if, if Zodong Yu's career going down a crapper, it's not Barbara Wong's fault. It's her agent's fault for yeah. picking crappy movies for her. But it was the one thing that's funny is that this film has both Zodong Yu and Sean Do, even though they're in different segments. <laughs> And both of those characters appeared together in uh, Under the Hawthorne Tree from a couple years ago, which is not a, not a great film, but not a bad one. I, I, I kind of liked it. Um, but in that one, because it's also dealing with dying of cancer at some point, it's just interesting to see that uh, the shoe's kind of on the other foot here. 
<laughs> um, I, I actually I wouldn't mind if they had been the same. It would be if it was such a cash grab that why didn't just make it a reunion? Yeah. Why didn't yeah. You know, why didn't just replace Aerith with with Shondo and just you know go all the way with the cash grab and maybe yeah. make a better couple? And and one of our one of the people at the movie with us commented too that um, that third story the the way that uh, Shondo and and the uh, actress the girl actress that he hooks up with <clears throat> in that segment they basically copy the Reign of Assassins hook. Where yes. the characters in Reign of Assassins, he keeps like going by the one, the one, the girls working at a sort of a street stall, and every day when it rains, that character is waiting for the rain so he can run by and kind of help her clean up her stall. It was exactly the same yes. um, that that you saw in Reign of Assassins. So I'm wondering yeah. if she just kind of plucked that out. She's all over the place because the ending of that story comes from a Japanese tearjerker. Um, the entire second, the entire arc of the second story comes from the uh, Japanese film No Dame Cantabile. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the part part one because it's about the main character trying to uh, work with this ragtag orchestra and trying to make it work. So all the entire riff from there, and I mean the first one is the first story is come from countless amount of you know Korean dramas. So everything in there is all derivative of something else, derived from something else. Um, I don't know. I think if she'd go back to going back to working with uh, a lot more original plots and keeping herself out of them, I'd be more happy. Uh, but yeah, I've got to go with a skip it. Flee it. Spend Flee not it. your time. Unless Flee you can it. see it for free, waste not a dime. Unless you're trying to go of a girl who's really sensitive and cry easily, then go for it, dude. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think she'll be crying because you wasted her time. <laughs> We've got another screen film to talk about, though, so let's move on from Barbara Wong and talk okay. about some Bollywood. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> this week, um, actually last week, a movie, uh, body film opened in Hong Kong. Uh, kind of a small scale release, uh, only five or six theaters because it's under this thing called a Cinehub uh, here at the local United Artists Theater chain. It's called, um, it's actually called this by this in, uh, by, uh, Hindi name in, in Hong Kong. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce it, sorry. Sindagi Na Milegi Dobara. Yeah, it's pretty good. Thank you. You need to <laughs> sing that now. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> the, the English title of the film is called You Don't Get Life a Second Time. Um, actually, this film is known, but maybe better known because it is nominated for uh, what is six nominees for Best Picture at this year's uh, Asian Film Awards. Uh, the film came out, originally came out last summer, 2011. Uh, director is Zoya Akhtar. Actually, it's a female director. And uh, no one in the cast is particularly famous, at least among, you know, us is a very young. No Shah Rukh Khan. No Khan. No Shaka Khan. No uh, Amir Khan. No uh, Salman Khan. Uh, I don't think there's even a Khan. But yeah, uh, essentially the, the simple story is about these three childhood friends. Um, one of them is getting married. Um, uh, his name is Kabir, I think. Yeah, Kabir is getting married, um, and and they have made a pact uh, from since their childhood that uh, for their bachelor trip they would go go to a road trip through Spain and each of them would suggest an extreme sport that they all have to do. So the entire film essentially chronicles the entire road trip. Let me guess, um, is there running with bulls? Yes. Oh. Yes. Sorry, that, that's the ending, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so obvious. Yes, I mean, they to Spain. I mean, of course, they also go to Tomato Festival. Um, but yeah, the, the extreme, so each of them go for extreme sport and that seems like a really simple, um, a very simple, um, uh, structure, but actually it's quite brilliantly structured because um, each character comes out with one sport that actually is a challenge, a direct challenge to the other member. So let's say Arjun, who's a stock 
stockbroker in in England who's living in England. Um, he he his idea is to um, uh, skydive, and that's actually um, it's it's the it's the it's the one of the other other guys is afraid of heights, so obviously it's directing towards him. But at the same time, um, they each of these challenge actually help these guys uh, overcome one of their their major uh, their major obstacle through life. So it's actually quite well structured. Um, so do they do do a song and dance number before they jump out of the plane and run with the bulls? Or see, here's the thing: actually, this film uh, is very much geared towards you know, I guess, more sophisticated moviegoers in India. You have that feeling uh, because it it, it kind of has this problem where it's about rich people with rich problems mm. because they live in you know luxury hotels and you know they rent they drive through Spain in a nice SUV and they buy Hermes bags and <clears throat> and things like that. These are very you know high class kind of Indian modern Indian people. So actually one of the things I like about the film is that it's not a typical Bollywood film where, you know, you have a song and dance sequence every, every so often yeah. here. Um, it, there's only two major musical sequence. I think two, um, the tomato festival sequence is, it's, it's played to a song, but no one's dances. Uh, it's kind of like my name is Khan, uh, mm-hmm. where the music gives a montage, but nothing, no one really sings. There's only one real dance sequence in the film, but actually the music of the film it's not your typical Bollywood, you know, exotic Bollywood music. It's very much geared. It's very much towards Western pop, um, so that it feels like the music is again very modern, um, very West, Westernized, and in that way, actually, I enjoyed the soundtrack um, a lot more than the previous Bollywood films because just that whole exotic element of being Indian is removed, um, and in the end, you have this road trip film that actually just happens to be from India where people happen to be speaking in Hindi because the story itself, the messages, you know, overcoming your fears and, and learn to live life as if it's the last day, live life to the fullest. Those messages are very universal. And in that sense, I think this is a very relatable film to two people outside of India. And um, even the characters, you know, they're not your typical filial people. These are, you know, independent young professionals who don't, you know, who have, you know, individualism. Uh, it's very much about the individual value. So in a way, it, it relates to Western values a lot. And I think that makes it such a, a very relatable film to Western audiences. And I think just the the, the, the story is very well structured. The the humor is not slapstick. It is very much out of the characters and it's um a lot is in a dialogue. Um, and yeah, it's really uh, sad that when I watched the film, there's only about 20 people. I think it's just a really good film. I think it is as enjoyable and carries just as well to Hong Kong or to the West as Three Idiots. And I think it deserves um, the attention. Hmm. How long is it? Actually, that's the problem with the film. It's 157 minutes. <sighs> yes, and actually, this one is where you do feel a little long. This drag a little bit in the middle. But once you pick up the structure of the film... You, where you know it's going because there are no really surprises. You know that they have to each overcome a challenge. So when you realize this character, last character hasn't overcome a challenge, you know where it's going. Um, it, it, it is a very clever film. It is a, too, a bit too long. This were one of the few rare Bollywood films where you could really feel the length of the mm. movie. You know what I mean, so that is the one, the one flaw. But it is actually the first Bollywood film I've seen directed by a woman. It's directed by women, but it's about these three guys on a bachelor trip. So that alone, that kind of female perspective um, about these three guys who are actually surprisingly not macho at all um, and, and are very in touch with their, with their, with their you know, emotions and problems. Um, that's a very interesting perspective. And so, yeah, I think this film is now playing in um, five cinemas in Hong Kong, uh, the UA cinemas. If you go check out the UA website, uh, the DVD's been released, I think, in um, 
and from India. Uh, the soundtrack is on iTunes, so it's not very tough to get hold of this movie, mm. I, and I think it's well worth watching. Haven't you seen um, Bride and Prejudice? No, I haven't. Never seen that. Yeah, that's no. a good one. I mean, I, it's kind of, a, I guess it's more hybrid than actual Bollywood, mm-hmm. um, but um, it's got a lot of... Uh, a lot of Bollywoodness in it, and uh, that's a female director too, Grinda oh. Ch- Chada, I think. Uh, she also did the Bend It Like Beckham. Bend It Like Beckham, yeah. Yeah. The thing about this this film is that it is very even the 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 one Bollywood style dance sequence. It is um, it it is uh what can I say? It's like the flamingo. It, it is actually it has Spanish elements into it. Mm. So in that way, it is kind of like a fusion. Uh, and again, the entire movie takes place, almost the entire movie takes place in Spain and is very much merged with Western culture. So this, uh, this could be a very good, um, in- introductory film, I guess, for people who are not, who can't get used to a typical Bollywood film and wants something, wants to, you know, check it out or start to kind of ease into it. This is a very good film to ease into that style, I think. East Green, West Green. All right, two West Green films to talk about this week, and Kevin has seen neither one. <laughs> so the ball is totally in my court. Um, first up... I've seen only the classy movies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, leave me all the geeky stuff. Uh, Underworld Awakening. This is the fourth film in the Underworld franchise. Um, and unlike the third film, which featured Rona Mitra and was sort of a prequel to Underworlds 1 and 2, this one comes back to the current timeline, at least for a little bit, and brings back Kate Beckinsdale as Celine, um, the main character from the first and the second film. Uh, the film picks up kind of where the second film left off, but then they do a time jump. Um, there's, a, there's a thing that happens, and Celine gets frozen. Uh, she gets captured and frozen, and she wakes up, I want to say it's... 12 years later, 12 years in the future. So there's a little bit of a future jump. And so she wakes up and the world has changed. And basically what has happened is that humans have become aware of the existence of the lichens, the werewolves, and the vampires. And so they have become sort of a third player in the war now. And they've basically eliminated almost all of the um, all of the lichens and the the vampire covens at least um that's the world that uh, Celine wakes up to uh she finds herself uh, frozen in a lab and she quickly has to get reoriented and she she escapes and she takes to the task of trying to find her partner Michael who was in the first and the second film now if you're not familiar with those films basically he was a human who ended up becoming um a hybrid he was part vampire and part lichen and he was supposedly stronger than anybody. And so he's missing, and, and she's out in the world now trying to fight him, trying to avoid the humans, and trying to find out ex- you know, exactly what, what's going on. Um, it's a solid sequel, I would say, if you enjoyed the series. Um, it's got enough action to keep fans of the series sated, but it's not great. Um... In the scope of the four films, it's better than three. Three was really weak for me. Three, the, the effects looked bad. Um, I like uh, Rona Mitra very much, but she's no Kate Beckinsdale. And it was set way in the past, so you know you don't you, you had swords and arrows back then and crossbows. You, you, 
not as exciting as, you know, vampires with guns fighting werewolves. Um, there, there's, but there's enough action here to keep you sated. It's, it's, I'd say it's probably in third place. So not as good as one and two, but better than three. Um, but these movies really are sort of like the Resident Evil series now. Um, they put them out, you just go, you know you're going to get lost in sort of popcorn-style action and CG effects. Some are good, some are not so good, yeah, you know, and this is the, I think, I don't think 3 was in 3D, but this one is all 3D. So, um, you wouldn't want to go out and see this if you hadn't seen the other films. It, it gives you sort of a, you know, it brings you up to speed, it gives you some flashbacks, to tell you what happened in one and two, um, but it's if you've not seen the other films, it, it's not worth your time really. Um, you go see this film because of Kate Beckinsale, basically, and because of the, the the world that they've created to see how this world has evolved. The story, the plot here—I mean, there's a kid involved, so you can kind of figure things out from the get-go. Oh, come you, on! Yeah, you know, you know what's going, and and that's a that's kind of a trend in the two films that I'm talking about for West Green. Uh, this week, it, it, something about sequels, they've always got to bring a kid into the picture. So there's a kid involved. Um, and uh, let's see, you've got a, a couple of interesting side characters, but nobody, you know, um, really major. Sandrine Holt has a very, very small minor role. I mean, blink and you'll miss her. If you know who Sandrine Holt is, she's a, a I guess, British um sort of half half chinese half british uh, um you know parentage and she was in the john woo i remember her from i think it was the john woo tv series of once a thief and she's been in some other stuff too um i've kind of been on the lookout for her she's never really made it big anywhere so i was surprised to see her here and she didn't really get a lot of screen time uh let's see who else um chris holden reed also another British actor, was in the, uh, the Tudors, I think. Had a, had a minor role in the Tudors and is now on Lost Girl. Interesting thing, he's playing a lichen and he also plays a wolf, a werewolf in Lost Girl. So I'm wondering, it's kind of getting typecast. Um, I, I, I would turn down any future uh, werewolf roles, Mr. Holden Reed. You, you don't want to get stuck into that kind of thing. But I was happy to see him in, in a big screen film because I like him in Lost Girl and I liked him, uh, what I saw of him in The Tudors. Um, this is an obvious sequel setup. It's one of these films that drops you, uh, you know, with, a, with, with an obvious plot hook leading to a sequel. I won't say what that is, but obvious sequel setup. And I hate when films do this, when they're so obvious, they leave like a big plot thing hanging. Um, with the expectation that they're going to go, going to go on to another one. Um, they did this in, I want to say, Resident Evil 4. They do for every Resident and, Evil movie, I think. Yeah, but I mean, Res Resident one of them, the one where they were in Vegas, had had a huge one. And then you're thinking, oh, how are they going to resolve that? you got to wait and wait and wait. Um, and they kind of did that here, and I hate when they do that. I was saying, I really wish that if a studio was going to do that, that when the film is released, they're already working on the sequel. So that it's not going to be two or three years later for that plot hook to resolve. We're, we'll get it within is, a year or something. These, these underwear movies, they're on, you know, they're done on such, you know, mid budget that yeah. you don't really have to make a huge ton of money. This would make the, the, same, the same kind of box office that you did the previous round. And then, you know, then you're, you know, sure. and I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that's out there, I mean, 
they could scale it down a little bit and go make it into a TV series. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't Underworld like a series at one point? Didn't they make it into a TV series? No, that I know of. Yeah, actually, the thing is, it was interesting how you talked about the action of the film because I only saw the first film and I saw it in cinema and I realized and I remember not liking it because it's not really known for the. It wasn't really you know action wasn't really a strong strong point. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting how you said it, it's kind of evolved into this this CGI action fest. Yeah, know, like 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 Resident Evil in a way. Yeah. Um, I'd say, uh, as I mentioned, um, if you're a big fan, you're going to see it probably regardless of what I'd say, but I, I think you'll get something out of it. Again, it's not the best. Otherwise I'd say if you're just kind of okay with it, TV it, um, cause you don't want to pay 3d prices, um, for the film. Are there actually real fans of Underworld? Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize. This. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause it's such a mediocre, I mean, it's a great hook, but it's such a mediocre no, a lot of people like the premise, you know, the lichens and the yes. and the vampires and and them being at war and, and and sort of an under, you know, underground hidden societies. Um, you know, the the panels at comic cons and stuff have pretty big draws. So, and that's usually where they talk about releasing uh, when they're going to release the next one. I, I'd say it's it's right up there with the Resident Evil stuff. You know, um, what's her name? Mila Jovich is. Uh, you know, Kate Beckinsdale is kind of in that same... Like a European... Oh, wait, but... She's kind of in that same geek love kind of thing. You know, uh, there's there's a bit of geek worship for both the ladies uh, because of their roles. And, yeah, the, 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 the leather fetish thing, just she takes it to even more extremes here. So <laughs> there's plenty of fan service. Uh, I was just telling uh, Ken in the chat room that in this film there, there's actual... Hints of nudity because there's a there's a scene where she's naked, um, but there's Body like double. no no so there's like CG mist that's <laughs> covering all the naughty bits, so you don't actually see anything. But there's a lot. It's like you are you're 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 really looking. You're like uh, get that mist a little bit out of the way, and you know, um, so you know. But the 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 sensors the sensors got them to cover every, everything. Up. No, it's because the director is actually Kate Beckinsale's husband. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it never, it never happened. We've got another film, another sequel of a much-loved series, uh, at least in comic series. That is, I don't know how much how much love the film series has had, and that is Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, starring the man of all men, Nicolas Cage, <laughs> as the the main protagonist, Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider. Um, now this is the this is a film that is a sequel to the 2007 film, and it continues the story of the main character Johnny Blaze, who basically had a contract with Meph- Mephistopheles, uh, an incarnation of the devil, and traded his soul. Um, initially, he traded his soul to give his father more life, but then his father, because his father was dying of cancer, another cancer connection, and he didn't. Uh, and he ends up dying in a car crash the next day. So the you know it was a devil's deal, as it were. But um, or no, motorcycle crash. Sorry, not a car crash. Um, but as a result, he becomes sort of the bounty hunter of the devil by taking on the persona of Ghost Rider, who you know is this flaming skull in in black leather in a black leather jacket and who rides around on um, modified motorcycles. I guess they're kind of like Harleys. Harley Davidson's. Um, 
based on a very long-standing, famous Marvel comic book, but you wouldn't know it from this film. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened between 2007 and this movie, but talk about night and day. The only, If I were to compare this to Asian movies, think about what you saw in the Storm Riders and what you saw in the Storm Riders sequel. You know how the two films just don't seem like they're in the same universe? Because yeah, it's, a, it's a different look and it's a different director and it just seems yeah. to really... The, the two don't really seem to gel together. If you watched them back to back, it'd be like almost like they didn't match up. And this is the same thing. I mean, they brought in new directors, but here you've got um, the, uh, the main character. He's gone to Europe. He's in Eastern Europe. He's in Turkey. Really? Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, it, it looks like it looks like New Mexico or something. No, I mean that that might have been where they filmed it, but where the story's <laughs> taking place is Eastern Europe. And I'm thinking, this is Ghost Rider, right? This is the you know he's like a hell's angel. He's like the hell's angel, right? He's supposed to be riding the American back trails and and battling demons and stuff. What is he doing in Europe? So that kind of threw me for a loop. For the tax credit. You know, right off the right off the bat. Yes. Um, the film also c- seems to cut all ties with the original film. Um, if if the fa- for the fact that Nicolas Cage is here, there's no other tie to the original film other than I think that the production company it's a, it's a split production now. Uh, the original was uh, distributed by Columbia Pictures. It's now Columbia Pictures, Warner Brothers Pictures. So, and I'm wondering if the Disney buyback of, of or the Disney buyup of all the Marvel characters plays into this somehow. I didn't have enough time to go and really do, dig into it all that much but i'm thinking that might be a little bit because i mean i don't know they according to some of the wiki sites it says that um peter fonda who was in the original as mephistopheles he wanted to come back but it's like a completely different character they've got a different actor um playing him who's the actor uh uh siren hins uh is the actor who plays the devil here and it doesn't really, it's, it's, he's got a different name too. He's not called Mephistopheles anymore. So it's, it's almost like a different remake of, of the film in some ways. Um, they don't use footage from the original film, even though in the beginning there's, you know, Nicolas Cage doing some narration about how he became uh, the character. They have a different actor as the young Johnny Cage. And the scene where he goes through and he makes the deal is completely different from the way he made the deal in the original film. So it's just really weird that it's not really a carryover from from the first film. I can't figure it out. Um, I'm guessing there's some rights issues or or something with maybe some of the original actors. But it said it says in the wiki that Peter Fonda wanted to come back, so why not bring him back? Uh, I, I, it can't be because he was too expensive. I mean, you know. What oh. Is, oh, I mean, seriously, what is he doing? I mean, so you got a, a lot of people I've never heard of here. Um, you've got a couple people in very small roles who could have had bigger roles. You've got Christopher Lambert, um, Anthony Hayd, uh, who Anthony Hayd's like on it for again, blink and you'll miss him. That's how that's how short of small of a role he has. Um, the basically the story is that there's, there's this young boy Danny who is being pursued by a group of mercenaries that have been hired by the devil, also called Rourke. You know, that's his day job name. Um, And they're trying to get this kid because he's the secret to some ritual that has to occur. 
And Johnny Blaze, a.k.a. Ghost Rider, is contacted by this French priest to come in and try and protect him. And so that's the story. I mean, it's just dull. It's boring. You know, the, the great thing about this movie is the Ghost Rider himself. He looks amazing. Um, he's, you know, the, the, the way they did him in 2007, the effects CGI was not that good. The, um, uh, what was it? The, uh, the way that the skull looked, it was like pure white and, and the flames. I mean, it was okay. I watched the original film over the weekend. I rented it cause it'd been so long since I seen it. And I remember not liking it all that much, even though I liked the character quite a bit. Um, so here, the, the, the skull's like all black and burnt, and his leather's kind of all melted, and, and the character looks amazing. But the villains are just like normal guys, and I'm just... It's not exciting. At least the first film, he was battling demonic forces for throughout most of it. And there was a sense of kind of Midwest America fun. You had... Um, what's his name? Sam... Uh, Sam the, Shepard? The, the guy who always plays the cowboy. Sam... Uh, uh, not Shepard. Um, not Shepard. No, uh, the guy in Big Lebowski, right? Uh, with the big stash. Yeah, uh, yeah, stash. Um, shit. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Sam. I have the Big Lebowski blue right here. Oh god. It's. Grab it. Let me. Sam Elliott. Yes, thank ah, you, Kenneth. Sam Elliott. Uh, the internet has failed me, and <laughs> Kenneth comes through. So yeah, it has Sam Elliott, you know, he was great in it um, and seemed really appropriate. Here it's just, oh, it's just like, who are these people? What, the, 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 the mother of the kid's like a gypsy. And it just doesn't, it doesn't feel supernat anywhere near super, supernatural enough. And then again, you're dealing with the devil. There's, you know, why would the devil hire guys, normal guys to come and get this kid? He's the devil. He could just go and snatch him. Right, I mean, he's he's got the ability to turn people into Ghost Rider, and 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 he had a he had demon spawn in the first film, you know, Darkheart and all those guys. He doesn't. You don't hire these jerky guys, you know, this this gang to go track down a kid. I mean, it's just so terrible. Um, You're on the road tonight, Paul. <laughs> oh, I, I you know, because I thought I thought, oh, it's gonna be you know, it's gonna be Nick Cage, it's gonna have better effects. You know, it'll just be a, a big popcorn movie. And no, it was, it's like, it's almost not even like a Ghost Rider because Ghost Rider's actually not in it that much. It's a lot of Nicolas Cage going around and and being a little bit loopy because <laughs> he's kind of come unhinged because he's been trying to control Ghost Rider, you know, the spirit for, for so long. Um, and and Nick, Nick Cage, you know, most people don't like him. I get a kick out of him. You know, he's he's still Nick Cage in whatever he does, but you know, he makes me laugh a lot of times in, in some of his mannerisms and some of the some of the scenes here where he's just going nutty, I think are great. But the villains are just dull. I mean, they're dull, dull, dull. I don't know who, who thought this was be, would be a good idea. I guess Nick himself was probably thinking, "Hey, you know, I got into a little bit of tra tax trouble, so I need a paycheck and sure, let's do it." But it just it's just weird. It's like it's like some guy came along and said, I like Ghost Rider. I'm going to make my own Ghost Rider movie. I'm going to buy up the rights. I'm not going to have any of those people from the last movie. I'm not going to have any connection to the last movie. And I'm going to do Ghost Rider. And they got a really good CG team. And all that money went into the CG team and Nick Cage. And everybody else was like pulled on for free. Um, <laughs> but how was the, uh, the peeing fire scene? 
I mean, that's in the trailer. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you see that in the film, and that's, you know, it basically, you know, that's Should a gag. <laughs> that's a gag in the film. You know, exactly what you see on the trailer. He's talking to the kid, and he says, yeah, it's amazing, you know. Uh, and, and then it shows him doing that, and, and yeah, it's that's about it you know and he's got this bonding thing you know that goes on with 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 this kid it's typical stuff that you've seen in other in other films not very well done it's just i don't know i was expecting you know big demons coming out of the ground and you know i was expecting bigger villains because the first one it was um i remember the actor but the, the villain was dark hardy he was like the son of the devil or something and then you had uh his henchman and so they went around and, and, and he had to fight each of those guys. And that was kind of exciting. Here, it's just dudes. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, the devil the devil does turn one dude into, uh, into a sort of a demon villain. But he's just kind of lame. He makes people rot. I mean... <laughs> He's a he's a rotten dude. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just... I was so disappointed. And I guess, I don't know... It's kind of to be expected, I guess, if this would have been a bigger film, it would have been saved for Christmas or it would have been saved for the summertime. Um, so maybe my expectations were too much. Um, but I just, you know, after watching the original over the weekend and, and re- recalling, you know, how disappointed I was in that one, this one makes that one fun. <laughs> this one, except for the, the effects of Ghost Rider himself, who, again, really looks amazing. I mean, kudos to the team who... Who did that? Because I think they nailed what the character should have looked like in the first one. In this one, they really nailed it and, and got it well done. If they could take the character, rip him out of this film, and put him back in the first film, boom, much better film. He's like one good movie. <sighs> you know, uh, a bit of a Marvel fan. Um, TV it if you've seen the first one or not. You don't really have to see the first one because again, there's no not really any relation except for Nick Cage. Um, yeah, definitely TV. It's a 3D movie. You don't want to spend 3D prices, really, unless you can get a deal on a matinee or, you know, a discount like I did. Um, just be prepared for a a lackluster experience, a lackluster experience. Yeah. Um, you know, again, if you like Nick Cage, you'll get some funny Nick Cage out of it. Um, if you're expecting to see a lot of Ghost Rider, you're not going to see a lot of Ghost Rider, but I think you'll like the stuff that you do see. Just no, the villains are lame. Lame. All right. Lame. Enough of my rant. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Lameness. <laughs> You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. So I got a couple of comments from Hong Kong Dave, who's in the chat room. What's up, Dave? And uh, also from Gary Lau, uh, saying, you know, congratulations on our 100th show, our 100th milestone. Here's to the next 100. Uh, and Gary says, happy 100, guys. Keep it up. Uh, thanks, guys. We appreciate the support. Thank you, guys. Uh, if the movies are keep going like the movies we saw this week, I don't know if we're going to make it to another 100. I don't know if I can make it to to hell 100 days 
God, I'm gonna I mean, die in Interism. I mean, every hundred shows. That's like that. an Underworld six, a Resident Evil seven, um, five more Barbara Wong movies, and uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, mean, I actually enjoyed the movies I saw in the last week. I mean, I saw that movie that needs to talk about me. Uh, you need to talk about Kevin. I saw like what? Uh, uh, what else? I saw the Bollywood film. I saw Safe House. Even Safe House was actually decent. Mm. Um, what else? Um, uh, 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 I mean, Allure Tears is really the only thing that kind of jumped out as like especially bad mm. in the last week. So uh, I'm doing fine. <laughs> You're doing good. I'm doing. Fine. I'm getting. Just I'm fine. getting buried under an avalanche of. Bad 3D-ness. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, well, thanks for the comments, guys. Again, we, we appreciate you guys listening and commenting and doing all that stuff. If you would like to join in, you can always jump over to uh, iTunes or to, you know, to leave us some comments there or to our website at concast.com and uh, join in the commentary that goes on there. Sometimes we have some interesting discussions that goes on. A lot of times we're just bashing on Jeff Lau or praising Wong Jing, right? Because that's what that we do on our show. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I would I would never bash bash, you know, Jeff Lau before Wong Jing. I'm sorry. Wong Jing always comes first. Oh, okay. He he's like the he's like a Titanic of movie bashing. It's, Wong it, Jing first. It's it's the pecking order, right? Yes. Wong yeah. Jing and children first. Um what comes. so yeah please stop by iTunes, uh, leave us some comments or some feedback there. You can follow us too on Twitter. Uh, Twitter.com slash Concast for the show. Uh, Twitter.com slash The Golden Rock to follow Ooh. Mr. Ma. Or Twitter.com slash FoxLore for myself. Um, you don't want to follow me unless you're interested in, like, you know, video games and, and, and stupid stuff like that. But follow Mr. Ma because he gets into some really deep discussions on film. He puts up a lot of statistics. And sometimes he gets into little tiffs with people little. on the people on the internets. And he had a very good one today. Um, so yeah, you can you can look look forward to reading through that. Yes, where I essentially uh, accused the entire movie critic community of accepting briberies from yeah. movie studios. <laughs> You're the ICAC of film criticism. Yes. Um, so yeah, follow him on Twitter. Of course, you can always uh, send us an email at eScreen at gmail.com if you'd like to attach an audio file, ask a question, or a comment. Uh, we might just play that here on the show. And if you're not an iTunes person, you can catch us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it on your app store at stitcher.com because Stitcher Smart Radio is the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support of our little show. Additional thanks to Rob Govers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com for keeping us out and about. Of course, Kenneth Brewerson of podcast on fire i've got to throw that out there um because he's in the chat room rooting us on um also the other guys in the chat room matt seidel and hong kong dave as well uh k-man again for sticking with me as always 101 we're dalmatians now officially right (laughs) um and of course all you the listeners next episode we'll be 102 and we'll be looking at what? Uh, John Carter of Mars. I'm very excited to see that. I've been hearing really good things about it. Really good things about it from people um, who, when it comes to movies, I really respect their opinion. So I'm super excited to see that. Going to be seeing that this weekend. We'll definitely talk about that next week. Also, Andy Lau at long last. And Didi Yip. I'm, yeah. I'm impersonating her voice. Yip's voice. <laughs> yeah, uh, the apparently the greatest movie ever made. Yes, the greatest Hong Kong Hong Kong film ever, 
at least within this awards cycle, is finally being released here in Hong Kong. Tickets are going like gangbusters. I don't know when I'm going to get out to see it um, because I, you know, I know you guys were, gonna, were planning on Friday night. I've Camp Friday, Saturday, Saturday, we've got a sonogram thing going. So I don't know if I'll be able to make it out then, but definitely going to try and see it before next week. So we'll be talking about at least those two films, John Carter and uh, what is it? Simple Life. A Simple Life. I was thinking Life Without Principle. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. All those fancy bumpers in there, right? I mean, I mean, two weeks without doing the regular show structure, I've already forgotten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, let Michael Wrong r- remind you. Where's Michael Go? Okay. Um, he'll he'll be our constant reminder of when we go astray, which will be quite often. So this week we've got uh, two East Screen films to talk about. Up first uh, is news. News. Hmm? News. Oh, we forgot the news. There was other news. Ah, dang it. Yes, that's right. I thought there was a bumper between news stories. Don't, don't, don't. No. Uh, All right, so you've got... I'll edit this out. Sorry, guys, listening to the live stream. You got to bring Michael on. Yeah. Uh, How about this one? Just stay where you are. Yeah, we should have just stayed where we were. Um, (laughs) What is it? A simple life. A simple life. I was thinking life without principle. A simple (laughs) life without principle. Yeah, that's that should be the title. Um, it's all about Dingy Yip robbing a bank. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Give me your money! <laughs> Give me your money, bitch! Yeah. Um, so all of that and much more on our next show. <laughs> Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. sorry, I'm sorry too. Uh, <laughs> all of that and much more. <laughs> sorry, I gotta do this. Again. You got to censor that. <laughs> <sighs>